Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host on Talk Design. I started this podcast because I wanted to share the journey of design that I've had and that many others have had. And I find it inspirational talking to people globally about what makes design tick and what makes design create a better world for others. My journey has taken me from clothing globally, women's swimwear, performance sportswear, mountaineering, yachting, all these kind of genres where each place I would learn more and more about different specifics and how clothing can support those. Also, I've worked in innovation as a systematic innovation trainer and worked with the aerospace industry as well as the marketing industry and the design industry. And all my years of design, still my favorite is the built structure and interiors and years of travel and discovery, I constantly look at what the emotions are that are created by the built space. I consider myself a student of design for my whole life and will go on that way. Some of the things that I do to support this is my podcast and then workshops and masterclasses where I teach people about trends and design thinking and tours where I take people on tour with me and we go and discover different points of architecture or interior design globally. I always think that when you're passionate about something, one of the things that you should do is is you should share it. And so creating the podcast was my way of sharing my enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of others and their passions around design with you. I hope you really enjoy it. And I ask you, would you please drop us a line? Tell us what you think. Tell us what got you excited. It's so inspiring when we get messages from our listeners that tell us about the things that shifted in their life because of who they listened to. And it gives me the inspiration to dig deeper and find more people that I can bring to your ears so that you live a better design life. My guest on Talk Design today is Christina LaMonica. Now, Christina is a interior designer and she runs a firm across two continents. Well, not continents, two places. Let's just say that. So London and New York. So this in itself is an absolute trick to be able to run a, a firm in two places. And she's just new at that part of doing this, not the business, but that part of what she's doing. So we're going to dig in and talk a little bit about what it's like trying to run a company in two places and having clients in both things and rebuilding your network wherever you go. She's a massive talent. She's also a vintage buyer. She loves vintage. Uh, So we're going to try and dig into a bit about that. Christina, welcome to Talk Design. So wonderful to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. 
It's going to be fun. Um, I want to do a shout out to Eric Dillman with Pro Series. He, he's a podcast friend of mine and Eric introduced me to Christina. So um, I want to say if you're listening to my podcast and you want to listen to some other podcasts on design, have a have a listen to Eric. Um, Pro Series is his podcast and he does some amazing people that he interviews and we share a few backwards and forwards along the way. So thank you, Eric for introducing me to Christine. So, Christine, you are currently in London. It's the evening. I'm currently in London, and it is the evening. Yes, I've had a full day here already. Beautiful. I'm just about to kick my day off. It's 6 a.m. in the morning or 6.30 in the morning. Um, can we start out by you telling me about you? So, at one point, you were this little girl who was wandering through life, going to school, eating her lunch, doing whatever. And you decided somewhere you collided, your creativity collided with that you were going to be an interior designer. And yeah. I know that you were an events designer somewhere in there as well, but let's go back yeah. to what your first inspirations were that made you head down this path with all your creativity. I mean, I was that little girl who was redecorating her bedroom every week. You know, I was the girl that at 10 or 11 years old, I was hoarding copies of Architectural Digest, you know, and that's not, that's sort of a rarity for a 10, 12 year old girl, right? Um, but I, I come from a background where my mother is an artist and my father is a contractor. So I was always immersed. I had the creative side and then sort of like the tactical business side of, mm -hmm. uh, construction, interior design. Um, my father and I used to watch Bob Vila every Saturday. So while most kids were watching cartoons on Saturday morning, we were watching this old house. Yes. So I, I always had an affinity for interior design, um, but it took until 2018 for me to really start a business out of it. Um, like you said, I, I was in uh, mark event marketing for several companies throughout my career. So I have a bit of a career prior to starting this company that wasn't interior design based. So um, I worked for American Express for about five years and I produced all of their events for their black card members. Uh -huh. So it was traveling the world, kind of putting together these once in a lifetime experiences for these high net worth card members. Um, so think like, private fashion shows in Milan. Um, we did wine trips through Burgundy, France, where we were opening these very, you know, exclusive bottles of wine. Every event that we produced with them had A-list celebrity, five-star hotels. Um, we were traveling back and forth with luxury transportation. So it was a little bit of design. It was a little bit of hospitality, but, you know, overarching luxury in the beginning of my career. So I was sort of thrown into just being surrounded by beautiful things, you know, what amazing. I love the most. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and amazing to um, work at that level and suddenly be exposed to that. That's a journey most people would take over many, many years, but you went from yeah. sort of like this end to straight into it. And then having to um, ramp up your understanding of it. And, and even why yeah. is it luxury and why does it belong and who, what's its pedigree and where does it come from? Um, tell yeah. me a bit about that. Tell me a bit about going, well, you know, with that kind of side of it. Like, 
Well, I come from a very middle class family, I would say. So we're, we weren't traveling to Europe. We weren't, you know, doing extravagant things growing up, but I always had an affinity for luxury, right? So when I was thrown into this position, I, I was experiencing things at a young age between, I would say, how old was I? 25 years old. So this was like between 25 and 30. Um, my mother jokes and she says, you know, these jobs have ruined you forever liking anything that's not the highest class of luxury and five-star Michelin-starred restaurant. <laughs> I, I am totally with your mother. Um, yeah, I am totally with your mother. I'm like, whoa, this sounds scary. <laughs> Now I feel like I look at things with a different lens, essentially. Yeah. So I was able to see the details and the beauty of some of these stunning hotels and restaurants and, and homes that I was able to go into at an early age. I mean, we were producing um, like private, I, I remember hosting a private lunch for the Masoni family, with the Masoni family at their, their home and seeing their design aesthetic. And I think I've always been enamored with the beauty and luxury, the luxury space. So yeah, I, I, my career in working for American Express and from there I moved on to Condé Nast Traveler Magazine, also producing luxury events um, and then moved into Architectural Digest because they were under the same um, publisher yes. and editors. Um, and so I've always sort of been immersed in this and yeah. then it sort of translated into me starting my own interior design firm. But I never really said when I started my career that this is the route I was going to take. It was, it kind of fell into my lap because I had renovated an apartment myself and enjoyed that process so much. I don't have any formal interior design training. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't go to the interior uh, school of interior design. It's kind of like I've, I've seen beautiful things. I know how to I guess, put a room together. At this point, even five years into this career, I still look at myself like, am I an interior designer? Um, can I give myself that very acclaimed title? And sometimes I say, I, I am not really sure, but I, I absolutely love what I do. I have incredible passion for putting rooms together and construction and, you know, um, but yeah, I still say even five years after starting this business and being wildly successful for with over, 45 clients. Yeah. Am I, can I really qualify as a serious designer? Yeah. Am I really this? That's a little bit of, um, what do they call that? Imposter syndrome, you know, it like a, a little bit of that. And, you know, I think imposter syndrome's got a healthiness to it as long as it you get on the right side of it. And there are some people who will learn something through experience, and there's other people who will learn it through um, study. And, yeah. I, I look at the people who learn it through experience and I think they usually have a harder road to travel because they're constantly questioning themselves and there's nobody to check in with. They're constantly, yeah. you know, they may look calm on top, but then they're running underneath kind of yeah. thing. And so they're game on and they're always checking themselves. Have they done the best job? Did they know that? They always have to network better. They have to they have to work out their crowd. They have to work out who's got their back. They become better at people skills for that reason. They I do think that. Yeah. It's, and so I, I, I take nothing away from anybody who hasn't studied. Um, you know, I design buildings and I'm not an architect. I came from the fashion industry. I never studied to do fashion either, but I, I traveled the world and set up design departments for companies all around the world as a fashion designer and you sort of go, 
I, I specialized in women's swimwear for many years. And you you cannot learn what you what you learn doing that job. You cannot learn in a classroom with all the nuances of fabric, all the nuances of the human body. You know, like how do you how do you design bra cups basically for the water and stuff like that? And as yeah. as styles change and stuff, and so you know, you're always reverse engineering everything you can lay your hands on. It's Absolutely. yeah, it's a journey. I because um, I've mentored a few interior designers along the way. And I always say, because I have such a weird career path, it, it wasn't just very, you know, tactical, structured, t- technical, I should say. Yeah. Um, and I say, so this this was a story I could tell because it was maybe like five, five or so years ago. I, I was, or this is right when I started the interior design firm. I was asked to speak at a high school and it was five of us. We were all entrepreneurs and we were supposed to get up there and speak to 11th and 12th graders because they were about to go to college and start their careers. Uh And I remember asking the question to this group of like 200 students. I said, who here has a summer job lined up? And I think it was like May and maybe two kids in an audience of 200 people raised their hand. Really? And I said, okay, so those two people in the audience right now that have raised their hands are setting themselves up for success uh-huh. to be an entrepreneur. You can't just be given, you know, seed money to create a company and expect for it to just take off. I feel like I my my best experiences, I think, were being a waitress, mm-hmm. being a host, mm-hmm. making sure that you were, you know chatting, hospitality, being proactive, juggling a million things at once. So I say like, even if it's being a secretary or an assistant to someone for a few years and getting that experience, it's so important. I don't think that I could do what I do today without having that experience. And while I'm not formally trained, I have, you know, throughout my career, I've learned so many things from so many incredible mentors that I've had that aren't interior designers. I, I do have interior designer friends who have been wonderful, kind of like teaching me the ropes of the design interior design world. But I take most of my experiences from my jobs that had nothing to do with design. Yeah. I I so, so, so agree. I I worked hospitality for many years. I went and lived in ski fields and stuff like that. And I'd always work as a waiter because I could work silver service at night and then I could ski all day. So things like that and traveled around the world doing it. Like you learn human behavior and you learn people and you learn how to get people to be comfortable and then yeah. you, once you can get people to emotionally relax and be comfortable and enjoy themselves and know when to be there and when not to be there and all that kind yeah. of part of it builds that human behavior skill. And then you're you're observing people constantly, especially in the hospitality space. You know, why does nobody sit on that chair? Why why yeah. why does yeah, why does what's wrong with that corner that everybody sits in the other corner? What, what, I do this all the time. I look around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What is it about the lighting? What is it about the area, the temperature, the cozy factor of it? Uh-huh. I mean, because I really do want to get into the hospitality restaurant space. And I think that's one thing that I've been analyzing over the last, you know, 15, 20 years of my career. I can't believe that I could actually say 15 years of a career. I'm <laughs> myself. But, um, At 25, it's, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I do, I walk into a restaurant and the first thing that I'm looking at is 
you know, how the furniture is placed, uh, how many tables are within the space, where's the lighting coming from? I, I'm so psychotic about lighting in a restaurant. If there's overhead lighting over my table, I'm not into it. I'm, I'm just not having a good dinner. I think that the lighting needs to be very specific. The colors that, you know, there's something to be said about a cozy restaurant and how it affects your dining experience. 100%. 100%. Like, yeah. Uh, do you know my biggest my biggest one on on restaurants is the noise. I want uh, to, I, 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 yeah, like you go to restaurants and if you can't hear the person across the table or beside you talking, then what are we doing there? And I must say, the older I've got, the more that annoys me. And some yeah. restaurants I just will not go back to because of the noise. I just go, no, I'm not doing yeah. it. I'm not spending my money there. And then on the other side of it is also um, if I have to have glasses to read the menu constantly or take photos on my mobile phone and blow them up so I can see what it says. I I, see many people doing that now. Yeah. Well, then I go, so what we're doing, if we do if we've created that, is we're actually taking out a part of our public that will go, it's yeah, I love it there. And it's not, mm, you know, like that kind of thing. And I go, it's really important that we look at this whole thing. I, I, I think the other thing with, you know, if you need glasses and as you get older, like why does shampoo labels and conditioner labels, you know, why can't you read those things <laughs> when you've got no glasses on in the shower? Maybe I'll have a restaurant that has no menu and the waiter just rattles everything off so you really have to engage yeah (laughs) yeah I've been to a restaurant like that in um in Spain and uh, the waiter actually sat at the table with us and lovely yeah it was and it was nicely casual sat down at the table with us and said okay so and spoken English which was very helpful for me um but sat down and said okay so for, for me we've got these things and we've got this and asked us about what we liked and stuff and then said to us do you know these would be my first suggestions for you yeah um what do they sound like you know just that was what it was like you know I love that but that's more experiential so it's less about you going to the restaurant dining on the food it's more about the conversation between the people and Uh something special about that as well I think well, I think that thing that you were saying about creating events, like especially, you know, those American Express events where you're, where, and Condé Nast, of course, but the experience of those kind of events, you are creating experiences. It's not um, somebody gets themselves to the restaurant. It's they're taken care of from door to door. And in being taken care of from door to door, they gain this amazing experience. And also in those kind of things, they are around people with like synergies of lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. So you're that they're already sort of pre-qualified. So somewhat and it sounds so snobby that, but I don't want it to no, sound it's snobby. If you're yeah. spending if you're spending X amount of dollars on an experience, you want it to be seamless and beautiful. Yeah. And I think I I was thriving and making sure that every detail was taken care of from beginning to end. And yeah. this is kind of how I, I run my interior design business now and how I deal with my clients. Like I try to make sure that the entire experience from the day that we sign the contract to the day that I'm installing their furniture is seamless. And there are times where I get 
upset at myself if there's a blip or something goes wrong. And I be, I beat myself up a little bit about it because I, I feel like throughout the 10 years of my career, I've developed such perfectionism. Is that a word? Oh, it is now. Yeah, being a perfectionist. <laughs> perfectionism. Perfectionism. Now, I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think having that level of luxury and hospitality and things taken care of you. Listen, if, if you hire an interior designer, you're spending more money than you would have if you were to just go into a store yourself and buy uh -huh. yourself. Uh -huh. So I look at interior design as a luxury service. It's yeah. like buying that $15,000 trip where everything's taken care of from beginning to end. And so I say that interior design is 95% organizing logistics and making sure the client is happy of and 5% design. Yeah, of and course. I think, and I thrive off of the logistical part of it too. Like, of course, my favorite part is the design aspect. Yes. But I think the logistics and making sure that everything moves smoothly is something that I, I thrive off of. I think this is so important when you, as you're describing it, I'm going, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like the thing is, is that there is plenty of people who can come up with a scheme and an idea and a layout and a, 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 a thing. And whether they do it well or not well, that's one thing. The other is, is execution. And, you know, we have, we, and I'm saying the we, everybody has amazing ideas all day long. Some people may be a bit less amazing than others, whatever. We, we won't judge the ideas. I always say to people, ideas are cheap. I've got yeah. millions of them running around in my head. The only value an idea ever gets is executed. You know, like it, that's when it becomes valuable. That's when we add value to the idea. Yeah, and, it's seeing it come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. you're an entrepreneur and like, you know, you've, you have this idea of a business and then that idea you go, okay, jump in, put one foot in front of the other. And then you've got to keep putting one foot in front of the other to keep it moving. You know, and you can't stop. a hundred percent. Yeah. I think when you're enjoying what you're doing, it makes such a difference in your career. Yeah. And not that I wasn't enjoying my past jobs because I did. I always had so much fun and I loved what I did. Um, but having this business now, I do, I wake up every morning really excited. And I think now that I'm in London, um, I was telling this to Eric a few weeks ago that the first few months of starting the business in New York were probably the most exciting, was the most exciting time. And stressful. And stressful, but I thrive off of stress. Yeah. Like I'm a typical New Yorker where you just like, you know, get something out of hustling and not knowing where your next paycheck is coming from. And so I kind of feel that way now that I'm in London, that I'm starting this business from scratch, scratch again from London. Yeah. Um, we start in New York, but um, yeah, it's when you're happy about you, when you wake up every day, happy with what you do, I think it makes such a difference. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. The old saying, you know, find something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. No, you'll work 24 hours of every day in your life. But it won't. It, it will reward you, in the, in your soul, like unbelievably, you know. And then you've just got to make sure it rewards you financially and rewards you with, you know, a, a life. Um, because yeah. your life, when you love it, you cannot separate yourself from it. You know, no. it, it, it's it's 
It's just part of everyday thing. You know, you and I would have similarities if we're walking around you would be seeing something and pointing it out to me and I'd be seeing something else and pointing it out to you. And it's like, even 10 years in, we would be doing the same thing. We'd be going, oh, did you see, did you notice how that was put together? Or did you see how that flow worked there? Um, or, so oh. fun to have a friend like that. I love that. Somebody that's that's looking around the room like you look around the room. It's great. Yeah, it's, it's fun, eh? It's I, on my website that there's a quote um, from Elsie Wolf, and she says, I'm going to surround myself with beauty. That will be my life. And I feel like that is just such a beautiful quote because that is what I want to do, just surround myself with beautiful things. Mm -hmm. That will be my life. Mm -hmm. And I constantly want to see the beauty in everything. I think that's a beautiful outlook on life as well because what you're doing is, is whilst there's a level of judgment in how you just decide on that, what you're doing is is looking for the beauty that exists that brings joy to you and if it brings joy to you there's going to be you know more people in your tribe it's going to bring joy to them and then unlocking that for other people is is a gift it's like so a lot of people can't see what designers can see oh i'd say yeah yeah it is. It's crazy. It well, I think of it like this. If I were to, if somebody were to be on an operating table in front of me and I was expected to operate them, on them as if I were a doctor, I would have no idea what I would I'd doing. ring an undertaker. <laughs> like that is, I don't, that's not my vocation. I have no idea. It was never something that I was interested in. And I look at that, not that we, uh, we've had to, you know, go to schooling for 10, 15 years to become interior designers. But I think of it in the same way. And I'm realizing as the years go on that my clients hire us for a reason yeah. because they don't have the vision. And it I, to this day, it still boggles me how some people don't see mm -hmm. what I see or other mm -hmm. interior designers see. And it, it's actually crazy to me. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I still think to myself, is what I do on a day-to-day -day basis a value yeah. And it absolutely is because not everybody sees what, what creatives see. And I'm realizing that throughout the years. Do you know um, that that question around whether you bring value is, again, that a bit of imposter syndrome? And, and does the value need to be bought? And I remember saying to a friend of mine years ago something around, you know, the lines of, oh, well, you know, Typically, we're designing a lot of stuff for people with a lot of money who probably don't need this lot of stuff. Right. And um, he's like, well, oh, that's a nice outlook, Adrian. You know, where are you coming from with that? And I said, well, you know, people don't need another dining set. They don't need another what They've got one, you know, like come back to a really utilitarian lifestyle. How much do we need? And when I'm designing houses, I often say to people, it sticks with me, this, and maybe my very simple upbringing. I, you know, we'll be into, we've done a, an island bench in the kitchen and it's got, you know, stools and stuff at it. We've done a two a two table nook over here. Yeah, sorry, two, two seat table nook over here. We've done a dining room experience over here. We're doing an outside kitchen and an outside dining room. I said, just, just, just back up a second. How many meals are you eating a day? <laughs> you know, and it doesn't mean it's wrong. It just, it's just me being, I suppose, cynical. And I go, 
he said to me, he said, you know, what about if you reframe that to what you're doing is, is you're creating these houses and, and spaces within these houses. And that gives the person a level of relaxation and joy and a feeling of their own achievement. And you're yeah. doing that with them. And then when they get up in the morning, you've designed something that works perfectly for them. It flows for them. It, it, it happens. They're not banging into something. They're not stepping around something. They're not squeezed somewhere. And that sets up that first part. And then they, you know, that the whole interaction of their home sets up how they, how they feel about the morning. And then their yeah. children, if they've got children, grow up in an environment that is curated somewhat like that as well. So they get a level of expectation, not a level of discomfort, but a level of expectation of flow, of happiness, of joy. And that makes better people on the planet. How would you feel about that, Adrian? I'm I like, mean, I, oh, I, I, well, I always say I love being collaborative with my clients as well. So like if oh. the client were to say, I want four dining room spaces, I would say, okay, are you sure you want four dining rooms? Are you sure you need that many seating areas in your home? And then at the end of the day, we'll do it. I, I feel as though there are certain things that you just don't push back on. Like if a client feels very specific about how 100%. they want it, I'll be like, okay, let's figure out how to make this work. Um, but yeah, I being in a collaborative efforts with a client is always so much fun. And at the end of the day, they're more they feel like they've contributed to it, and they uh, feel excited to say like, "Do you see these four dining room tables? I had a hand in that." A hundred percent. I think that makes all the difference because you're you're doing it for them. I'm designing okay. a house at the moment where um, the guy and his wife and um, we're chatting, and he said, "So." I really like what we're getting to, you know, we're, it's a brand new house and so we're laying it out and stuff. And he said, I need to be able to sit 70 to 100. And I said, what? And he, this is a farmhouse. And I said, what? And he said, I need to be able to, we need to be able to sit 70 to 100 for a big events. And I said, how often do you do these? You know, should we just put up a marquee, a tent? And he's right. like, no, 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 I want that inside. And so... um Ball, is he having a ballroom in his house? No, but isn't that amazing? It's a dinner space. Wow. But what we've done is we've extended the width of a major hallway that connects three pavilions and the oh, kitchen's wow. at the end of them so it can be one long table. I mean, how cool is that? Would you have ever thought of that as a designer had your client no. said, must seat 75 to 100? And that's probably such a cool design that you now have in your portfolio. So I would say, I think clients, uh, nine times out of 10, they come up with some really fun ideas. And then it's our job to take those ideas and make them creative and accessible. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think that's so much what, that's what the job is, is to listen to their needs, collaborate with them in the sense of having their involvement and having them on a journey with you. And then it's execution. <laughs> it's yeah, like, boom, right. boom, boom. So tell me about, um, vintage and Art Deco, because I know you're a vintage hound, like you love it. Um, um, I always say like, go ahead. I was going to say, I want to know it from a New York basis and then also from a London basis and anywhere else. And like, if you've got some special spots you want to drop names of, you can. But remember that there's a lot of designers that listen to the show, so they, they'll go hunting you out. <laughs> there, vintage for me is like a drug. 
I go vintage shopping and finding finding like that, you know, diamond in the rough, that's $5 or five pounds. And then you can read, it's just like beautiful, beautiful pieces that my eye goes, it is so much fun hunting for vintage pieces. I don't know. I don't remember how I originally got into it. I think um, I have an affinity for art deco. I always say if there was a time period in which I lived in a past life where I was the happiest, it was probably like the 1920s, 30s. Oh. I'll always gravitate towards something with Art Deco lines, nine times out of ten. Is um, that the big Gatsby sort of time it is? Yeah, Art Deco. Yeah, yeah so very Gatsby. Um, <laughs> but it's so much fun because I feel like now the, the interior design furniture market, it's so saturated with these big box stores. And that's uh-huh. where people feel like they need to go shopping. I mean, there's beautiful furniture makers out there, but there's something special about having a once- you know, one of a kind piece. And I think for my clients specifically, they come to me kind of like for bragging rights, essentially to say, you know, Christina found this piece in Paris, or, you know, she traveled to Brussels, Belgium, and found this in like a little antique shop. And we re, you know, reupholstered the seats. And this is, you know, no one else in the world has this piece, but us, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, I love giving that experience to my clients where I'm, where I go hunting for them because it is a thrill for me to just dig and find these incredible vintage markets. Um, in New York is great. There's, there's up in Hudson, which I'm sure all of the interior designers based in the East coast know about. Um, but now that I'm based in London, it's opened up a world of opportunity for vintage shopping because, you know, two hour train ride, you're in Paris and you're shopping at the vintage Paris markets, which is, I've been there now. I've been in London now three months and I've been there twice. Um, I love that. It's so easily accessible. All of these where I would shop on first dibs or cherish, where I would be ordering things from Europe. Now I could actually go seek them out myself, which has been so much fun. Um, and I'm decorating my flat right now. So I'm purchasing majority of the pieces that are going into my flat are being purchased vintage because I feel like it's not only fun for me, but it's also sustainable. Um, but yeah, I love it. And I love incorporating vintage in my design because it makes it special. And, you know, you could look at some of the pe- the work that we've done and people can't say, you know, I know where that couch is from, or I know where those side tables are from. It's yeah. unique pieces. And I do, you know, throughout the pandemic, I was designing a lot of my own furniture because you couldn't get manufacturers to, you know, a lot of these big box stores weren't supplying furniture quickly enough. So I would design and pull a lot of inspiration from the lines of some of these vintage pieces that I would find. So if I couldn't get them shipped over from, from, you know, the UK, Europe, I would say to my upholsterer, like, I feel like I really love the arm of this chair or I love this side table, the aspects of this, can we recreate it? And I found a slew of fabulous people in New York that were able to help me mm-hmm. recreate some of these pieces with my own little spin on them. So I think for me, vintage shopping as well as going to see some of these pieces from the past, but then thinking, oh, maybe I could recreate them myself with my own little flair. Yeah. So I love that. That's that's another another skill that not everybody in the interior design space um, possesses is to be able to go. You know what? We're going to create, uh, you know, a sofa. We're going to create a, um, I suppose, like you know, a table, um, dining tables, things like that. We just recently fitted off an office space 
for a company and they're very, very um, team centric. So yeah, own team. And we have a flow room in there, which is a meditation room within the office space. We also have an oxygen pod and we also have, you know, all these different, like very special items where they look after their team. And with it, with this flow room's got a, a ceiling that, you know, does, it, it comes up in curves and it, the room's actually got an odd shape to it because we were working around some existing posts in the building and stuff. And then we had a sofa made that actually rolls right around all the walls. And in doing that, working with the company that custom made it for me, you know, I had to go, okay, well, so people are going to be sitting for about this period of time. They need to have space to put their feet up as well because they may want to sit cross-legged if they're meditating or they may want to. There will only be one to two people in there at a time as well. The lighting, of course, was super important. Just all these different aspects, but creating a piece of furniture specific for that space. And we created another a room that we call a focus room, which has got a sofa in it as well. However, it's where you would take your laptop and you might yeah. go with one other person. So same sort of looking sofa, but totally different in structure. It's made for sitting up on. It's not made for lounging yeah. back on. It's got a much shorter seat and it's got a much more critical height. Um, and the table can be pulled in and around and slide, slid because it's like a little triangle room. So, yeah, just really interesting when you're saying that. I'm going, yeah, we create like quite a bit of furniture, custom furniture, because of the fact that we put ourselves into spaces we don't, under, well, don't not understand, but spaces that we're going to require something yeah. that doesn't, there's no big box. Right. Doesn't no. exist. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's easier. You know, you could scour all of these sites and try to find something that fits your needs, but as creatives, we, it's easier to just sketch something out and say this would fit perfectly within the space. Yeah. And that's yeah. Really fun. I'm going to start doing more of that, honestly. I really I, do. I love the fact that you mix the vintage with that. So, A, the fact that when we've got one of your interiors, if we're looking at what the decor in there is, is there could be a piece that's, you know, 100 years old right next door to a piece that was custom made, especially yeah. for the space. I, I love yeah. that. I love that. And I love using old and new. I think that's that's what makes this space kind of feel layered and have it come to life essentially because I think pieces with history have energy. And I love looking around the room and then kind of saying, even, even in my own space, when people come to my flat or my apartment in New York City, where did you get this from? And everything kind of has a story about where it came from. And the people that sell vintage are so connected to the pieces that they sell that they always have a story about yes. it. So it's kind of like a story that, that goes, it gets passed down. And I find that just to be so special. I loved you said just then about um, that pieces have energy. And I, yeah. I'm a great believer in spaces and furniture. Everything has embodied energy. And Agreed. The, the, you know, like, uh, even to the point of clothing, like I know with my daughters, uh, their cousins would give them, you know, a piece of clothing uh, that that hand down. And um, yeah. I remember saying to my daughter once, she was sort of like a bit like, Meh. and I said, hey, they loved that. They loved that so much. And they wanted to be able to give it to you so you could love it. So it's filled yeah. with their love on the journey to you. And it's just yeah. such a, I think of it with furniture, you know, I've got some piece of furniture from my parents' house 
and I go, I grew up with them as a child, these same pieces of furniture. And I go, yeah, do they mix with the decor? Sure, because I can put it together. But otherwise you'd say, no, no, you can't put that in there. But, I, lo- I, I It makes a room. It really, truly does. Yeah. Having something that's passed down or have a story, it's so much better than buying something that's brand new. I, I, I so agree. I love that. And I love the fact that the energy comes with it. And then also, I think that it tells chapters of your life history. Uh, yeah. To go and do a space where everything's brand new, I'm like, oh, where am I getting its soul from? Where am I getting its history yeah. from? There, yeah. I mean, there are pieces of furniture, this might sound crazy, but there are pieces of furniture that I've been around. Like I've walked into some vintage stores and I'm like, oh God, the energy in here feels like claustrophobic. I'm not into this. Like I've seen a beautiful piece of furniture before, like a, a cupboard that I would, and I opened up the doors and I remember feeling like there's something about it that like maybe it was in a home that it wasn't loved or something like, so energy is a huge thing and I could feel it. It's crazy to say, but I can. I love that. I think that's actually a, you know, like a gift that you bring to your interior design that you can't quantify and you can't see, you know, that the French would say that je ne sais quoi, that little bit something extra that, yeah, it, 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 it's something that's unquantifiable and it brings part of your genius to the job. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. And I think like, it's funny because you could, I could be in a sea of vintage pieces and, and I've been with a few friends of mine that are like, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed here. I don't know where to look. And it's funny because I've been in vintage clothing stores. So my yep. sister, I'm an interior designer. My sister's a fashion designer. Oh, nice. I'll walk into a vintage clothing store and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't know where to look first. Like, I don't know what's cool. I don't know what's, what's you know, what will work. She knows exactly what to pick. She just has an eye for that kind of stuff. And, and I've taken her vintage shopping or friends, I've taken vintage shopping. And they're like, oh my God, I don't know. Like, how did you even spot that? Yeah. And I think there's something said about an eye that you have for something that's I don't even know if beautiful is the right word to use something that's interesting, dynamic. And I never, ever get overwhelmed in vintage when shopping yeah, vintage. When it, isn't that interesting? Yeah. But clothing, vintage clothing, I would need somebody to pull out like 10 pieces. And then I would say, okay, maybe I like this one and this one. Um, I get very overwhelmed, like almost anxiety level overwhelmed in a vintage clothing store. I find the difference between shopping vintage and clothing and shopping, um, say, retail and, and clothing is that it's so much harder to, um, I want to say, understand the analytics of the story. Like it, I was a professional shopper for many years when I worked in the fashion trade. So we would go shopping, looking for fabrics and ideas and things, not not garments. Again, we'd see garments, they might inspire us, but we're not copying. We're, we're, right. we're, in, we're looking for inspiration. And I would have methods of how you do this. And I would train my team and how you actually go. But when you go to vintage, none of the rules work anymore. You know, like if you, if you're going to a mall, we'd go, okay, cool. We'd always go to malls. It's not where we would necessarily get our um, stuff from. It would be where we would see what's happening. It's like going, oh, you know, X number of cars are white and X number of cars are blue. Um, but walking into a store and going, okay, what's the what's the weight of color in the store? Where is it sitting? 
What's the then going and looking at the weight of price in different colors? Where is it sitting? Where's the story sitting? So you could make analytical sense of the damn thing. When you go to vintage, it's like, hold on, hold on. I've got this here and this here, and I've got this here and I've got this here. Um, and I, I'm a bit like you. I go, I get a bit overwhelmed because I can't categorize it quickly enough. You really can't. Yeah. It's, imp- it's impossible. Furniture, I think, is a little bit easier. Like I gravitate towards, like I said earlier, I gravitate towards the Art Deco kind of style. But then there's pieces that are, you know, mid-century modern yeah. or um, like what else do I usually gravitate towards? It's it's usually like arched round pieces, velvets, like beautifully, you know, upholstered. I hate tufting. I hate kind of like that, um, like, uh, what is the time? I, I wouldn't even know, like any kind of like farmhouse type yep. furniture yep. I never go towards. So it's funny. I hope it, you I get a farmhouse commission. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will. I mean, now that I live in London, I'm very close to the countryside and it's a whole whole different beast. <laughs> it is. I appreciate the countryside chic. I think I could pull it together. Get, get um, that. But it would have a little velvet layer to it. Nail, yeah. yeah, nail that down. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about um, running a business on two sides of the Atlantic. And okay. Um, and, and we'll start with that, but I want to morph it into, um, building a new network, uh, yeah. because, you know, in New York, you've got a network of tradespeople, a network of your artisans who can develop things for you. You know who you can call, you know who you can lean on, you know, who's going to back you up when things go wrong. Now you're in London and you're an American in London. So <laughs> tell me the story there. The Brits love the New Yorkers, though, I'm finding. You know, they hear your accent and they're like, oh, she's interesting. I wonder what, what her story is. Um, but like I said, I, the first few months of the business in New York was the time where I was really, because it was uh, when I started the business in New York, I didn't come from an interior design firm. So I had quit my job. I was producing New York Fashion Week at the time. And from a, an event like a bilge perspective. Uh-huh. And I just said, okay, now is the time for me to start this design firm. And I took, I was a whim, kind of a very much a whim situation. And so it was fake it till you make it. And I was connecting myself with everybody that I had met over the last 10 years, contractors that I had worked with to, you know, build fashion week sets or different people in the industry, people that I would work with for renovating my own home. So I was tapping into those that I had met along the way which was so much fun. I never found it stressful. I found it kind of fun just meeting new people and stuffing out, you know, how I'd get my team pulled together. I did hire and fire like 10 contractors within the first year of business. So if that says anything about the type of designer that I am, I I wouldn't, the current designer, the current contractor that I'm working with can tell you that I'm you know, a pain in the ass and I'm detail oriented and I can be pushy at times. And, but I feel like that's why my clients hire me to kind of get the job done. So I'm very particular. I was very particular about my team in New York and getting the right players set up. So it was streamlined, you know, I don't want to be working around the clock for someone else's mistake. So I really wanted to pick who I was going to work with. And I always say like a contractor designer dynamic is so crucial to the success of your business. 
Because if you're not on the same page, if your contractor wants to take a longer period of time to do something, or he's not as detail oriented with certain things throughout the space, like it's a reflection on you and who you are as a designer. So um, I have someone that I work with now in New York that is incredible and we get each other we're on the same page I feel like I could leave him to tackle a project I send him the plans you know I package up the design I pass it over to him and he just is he gets it done right um there are contractors that I've worked with where I really have to handhold them and it's not something that I love doing you know I just it's like dating right you go on a date and you're like okay we click there's chemistry we're gonna get we're gonna figure this out we'll be great partners one day um, it's like that with a contractor. So hundred percent people that you work with, like, so it took me a few, it took me a few months, almost a year to really figure out the players that I wanted to work with. And once you find the people that are, like you said, on your team and kind of get your aesthetic, understand your level of perfectionism, it's much easier. So now I find myself here in New York and I feel very fortunate that I have that incredible team in New York, sorry, now that I'm here in London, I have that incredible team in New York where, where I trust. There's one project that we're working on right now where. <laughs> let's, let's cut that from the podcast. Yeah. Um, but listen, I will say this, what I'm learning now that I have the business in London and the business in New York is that I do need someone on the ground in New York. That's of my level. So yeah. I'm, how I'm working it out is I'm going to be going back and forth every six weeks or so. Sure. I need someone on the ground that while the project is happening, they're looking at these things. So I don't get there when things are done. And I say, that's a mistake that needs to be fixed. I'm not happy with the way the grout looks there. You know, we need to be a little bit more detail oriented here. The The cabinets are not leveled. Like, let's figure this out. So I'm in so, the process. Somebody who's like an event coordinator. Um, that project has the, yeah, a project manager. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not. I don't think I want to relinquish the design, but I do want to be able to like, like bundle it up in a beautiful design and pass it off and say, okay, now you have to execute this. Yeah. And because of the time differences, it's a little bit tricky because while my contractors are working during the day, I might be doing something else in the evening here in London. So I do find myself working around the clock. Um, so I think until I have that other person in New York solidified, I don't think I'll be taking on another renovation because I, I'm just too much of a type A personality where I lose sleep over it, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. You're so connected yeah. to what you do. Yeah, I, I really am. And I, yeah, being type A is not the best and a little bit OCD, you know, but as a designer, I feel like you have to be both of those things. This is why people hire designers for their level of OCD and professionalism. I truly do. I remember, I remember years ago talking to a friend of mine and she said, oh, I've got a cleaner who has a phobia of dirt and dust. And I'm like, huh? And she said, yeah, she's like extreme. She's just OCD. She, she closes all the curtains in the house when she first gets there because she's not good with the outside world. But then she vacuums them. And exactly. I'm like, really? Every time, every week, every week. She's in the house. I would like to hire her. Oh, this is exactly what she said. She said, you know, the, the, she said, I'm supporting her condition. And I said, God, you make it sound like she's an alcoholic and you're feeding her alcohol. And she said, well, what I do is I don't tell her how she has to clean my house. I let her clean my house the way she needs to clean it. And I pay her really well to do that. 
And if she wants to clean inside the system for the toilet, you know, where the water sits before it flushes, that's okay. And she would. This woman would. And and that was just the level of her thing. But we all go, hey, um, put me on her list. Can I hire her too? Because that's the person you want. That is. That yeah. is. And then designer, uh-huh. it's the person you want. Definitely. And sometimes I beat myself up about it. And other times it's like, well, this is why I have a successful career. Yeah. Because I am I am a pushy, kind of bossy individual. But that's how I get that's how I get things done. This you isn't know. a dating site. We we won't we won't share this on any dating sites. <laughs> bossy, pushy who wants to date her. Um maybe that's but no, it's why, listen, it is truly why our clients hire us. It's because yeah. they don't want to be the pushy ones. I, I, I'm i not in this business to make a project last a year long. It's like, I want to make sure that it gets done. And, you know, our clients aren't paying two mortgages while, you know, they're trying yeah. to get into the space. You know, the process for me, it has to be quick and seamless. And that's my event design mentality, my event marketing, my event kind of like tactical side. I love the fact that you just pointed out the two mortgage thing. You know, often we work with clients who buy a piece of land. They're still living in their current house. That land has got a mortgage, maybe. If not, that cash is tied up. And the time that it takes from, you know, starting drawing with a pencil to them actually walking through the door could be a year, two years. That that's yeah. taken away, stealing their cash flow. You know, it's um yeah. that's a, it's a cost. And when we take on an interior design job as well, if it's big, then there is no, they're not living in there as we're going. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. But if it's big, they can't. And you go, this is money being spent while they're not getting the benefit of the joy of what they're going to have. Yes. And I, the last thing that I want to do is have my clients spend unnecessary money when they could be buying something beautiful for their home. Mm-hmm. with that money mm-hmm. you know or, mm-hmm. it or investing it for something else you know mm-hmm. so i like to be really mindful of that and i don't want the project to take longer than it should nobody wants that no, you know no not for either of you not for you not for them not for the contractors or anything no so but yeah we have a great group of clients in new york right now um we have two clients here in london which is really exciting um but I think while I'm in London, I I keep gravitating more towards getting back into the hospitality industry. So I think also being so close to some of these European countries at my fingertips and being a part of something that's more global than it is very secular to one family or one specific client. Like I really, really am. I'm at the place in my career where I want to design something for majority of people to see, as opposed to just two, three or four people. That's beautiful. While we have mostly residential clients in New York, I'm in London, like maybe this is an opportunity to tap into hospitality design, restaurants, hotels. So we'll see um, putting my feelers out there. Like I said, the first is connecting, you know, everybody and we'll see where we land. I love that. I I have a dream to design a boutique hotel. Um, and, hey. you know, yeah, just so that you can create the experiences of like like this, this one kind of experience so that you take people from through the door or from the outside, the truth be yeah. told, and then open up this 
enchanted experience for them that is memorable in every possible way and and you know every corner they turn they go oh, oh how amazing and when you were saying about doing restaurants and things you know like uh, you watch what chefs do and the drama they create with food and then how do you create this environment that um matches the chef's passion and yes. and takes people on they come through the door and they transition into another world yes, and right down to every detail so that's the fun that I want to have with design I think there's something so special of creating a house for because I'm such a foodie I think restaurants are such a huge part of my life and experiencing restaurants and going for you know that Michelin star experience and uh-huh. there's something to be said about you know, the food needs to stand out, obviously, but the house within the food needs to also have a presence. And for, like you said, from when you walk into that door, what you're presented with, like, I think the furniture, yes, the chair, the table, but I want to have a say in the napkins and the cutlery and, you know, the glassware that's presented to you when you first arrive or, you know, everything, the, the, even the experience, like even what the waiters are wearing and, no. you know, whole experience from beginning to end. I mean, that's my event planner mentality, but that for me, I think that would be the ultimate dream being Uh able to create a restaurant, but collaborating with, collaborating with the builder, collaborating with the chef, collaborating with, you know, the, the locals within the area in which the restaurant is in like that to me, it would just be the ultimate. I I so get that. You know, when you were saying it, I'm going, yeah, with the, the smell of it. That, that shift from outside to inside, you know, the the mood that the lighting pushes you, just how where it's sitting and how it changes it. Um, and you were saying before about, you know, going to a restaurant and if there's overhead lighting. And my friend Kelly Vandermeer, he is on the podcast, early on in my podcast, and he designs a lot of spaces like this. And he was saying to me, you know, lighting in a restaurant, when it, you need lighting that hits the table and reflects back so that it puts a soft light on people's face, not a shadow light. And I went, it it, it was like, you know, one big click in my head and I went, I've never thought of it. And he was saying, we go to restaurants, not just to eat. We go to be in a social space, but we want our own privacy whilst we're connected to everybody. He said, it's important that we can see the other person's table and maybe what they get, that we can hear the odd snippet of words, um, but we can't hear their full conversation so that we feel that we're part of an environment and we can look at their lobster or whatever it is and go, oh, I might buy that, you know, (laughs) like... That that's something special, you know, and that's that's that way of unwrapping that for people and curating it is so beautiful, so beautiful. My friends joke, it's so funny. I do this all the time, and I, I half the time I don't even realize that I'm doing this, but I'll get invited to a dinner party at someone's house, and it, <laughs> they're close friends of mine. It's not like I'm doing this. I'm getting invited to the you know the royal family and changing the lighting within their not home. Yet. <laughs> Yeah, maybe it's coming, but um, I'll get invited to a dinner party and I will have no qualms about saying like, I think we should lower the lighting. <laughs> like, I think we should take it down a tiny bit. 
Like, yeah. do you have more candles in the back that we could just light up? Because I feel like our artist area over here is just not well lit. And I'll be the <laughs> one in the restaurant. But just, I will say to the maitre d', please, do you have a few more candles to bring over? Because our table is just a little bit thin. <laughs> I love it. I love it. My friends laugh at me. But I, yeah, I'm that girl that just feels like if I'm at a restaurant and the lighting is not right, it will ruin my whole experience. Oh, well, yeah. You, what you do is focus on the lighting and not what everything else that you should be doing. Yeah. And if you can improve it, then improve it. Yeah. And the music too. Oh, that's another thing. Music yeah. is so important. <laughs> it's so important. I've got a last question for you. I've, I've loved so many things that we've talked about here. <laughs> I've got this question, which is, um, I, I've got to choose between two here. I'm going to go down the emotional floor plan question. Okay. So, and this is personal. So this is you, not your clients i know you've got a new apartment in london so if you want to use that you can or if not use new york i want to know your favorite space your your one space that nurtures your soul and makes you feel the like you're the person you want to be in your home i think it's definitely so right now my flat is not fully furnished yet so I can't say that I feel 100% myself here I mean I've mm-hmm. moved to a new country so <clears throat> I'm learning how to be myself in London because I'm such a New York girl and this pace here is just so much slower but my New York City apartment I feel like it's my little jewel box oh, wow. and because New York is such like a hustle bustle energy I created a space where I came home at night and felt completely safe from I mean, the energy in New York is insane, right? So when you close your door at night, you want to make sure that the space that you're in feels like it kind of like wraps you in a hug. And I think my, you know, it's not it's not the most elaborate design, I would say. I When I first put that design together, I was younger. I really didn't have a crazy amount of money to spend on furniture, like the sofa, something from my very first apartment 15 years ago. But there's something about that space that just makes me feel... And it's small. So when you say like, is there a specific room? You know, it's a one bedroom apartment in New York City. So, you know, one giant space. So yeah, I think I think my New York City apartment would be my my space that makes me feel comfortable and cozy. And it's and, nothing- And it's, safe. And safe. Like there might be, most of it is vintage. Um, like my dining chairs are vintage. My I have this gorgeous Robert Quote coffee table. There's things that I've collected over the years. You know what? My my New York City apartment is collected. I think that's what I would say mm-hmm. about it. And I'm surrounded by beautiful energy from things I've collected from, you know, the past 10 years of my life and travels and being in New York. And it's just me. I actually had, um, we were talking about illustrations earlier. And one of my dear friends who lives in Paris is an illustrator. And I had her illustrate a photo she took a photo of my new york city apartment and she illustrated it for me in watercolor and i'm gonna now going to hang it in my london flat because i needed a little of my new york city apartment here in london and then maybe once i'm done with this flat we could do the same thing and then i'll bring that one over to new york because i still have both both apartments which is nice yeah which is great and you need that you're flying backwards and forwards it's yeah 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 also for somebody with so much energy and so much like charisma, you need somewhere that grounds you, that holds you, you know. Uh, I think, you know, my family grounds me. I think 
outside of my space, my, my family definitely grounds me, you know, we're all born and raised New Yorkers. And if I'm, you know, I have a twin sister. So oh, if really? A sister identical? Life, identical? Identical twin? Oh, really? Yeah. So if there's one person in my life that will ground me really quickly, it's her. <laughs> so sometimes we watch this podcast and say, Christina, oh, hope you can cut that part out. <laughs> it's just not a person that will give you the most, you know, cruel advice. But you have to take it. She's a sister. I would say the same thing to her. She's an unbiased, kind of just says it is like she, it is. She the fashion designer. She's a fashion designer. Yeah. Right. Like I would go on fabulous trips when I was working for American Express. And she's like, you know, you sound a little entitled now that you're back from this luxurious vacation. <laughs> I'd have to like ground it and, and, you know, hone it in a little bit. Yeah. So. Like... <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, What's it like being a twin when you're both super creatives and, and probably both, both maybe a little like that, uh, OCD like just yeah so she owns her own business I have to give a shout out to her because she 100%. is incredible I, I don't even know how she does it she started this business two years ago fashion designer she created a capsule collection for women um, which is uh, curated of six classic timeless pieces and she's just your tip you know, girl boss and I think we're both running these businesses. So if she has a question about business, she'll come to me. If I have a question about business, I'll go to her. And it just feels like a safe space. Like I never feel like she's judging me or I'm judging her. And I feel so fortunate that I have someone in my life like that, where if something's going wrong or if I need, I need her to tell me like it is, she'll yeah. be the first person. Tell to you the that. truth. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me the truth. And, you know, sometimes you don't want to hear the truth, but you have to. And she's, she's just been, I think we're both very supportive of one another's businesses and she's going to, she's, her stuff is flying off the rack. She's going to be super, super successful. And it's an incredible journey to watch her go through. And I think she'll probably say the same thing about me and you know what I'm doing here. In London. Let's find out if she would, you hook me up. I'm going to put her on the podcast because my background in fashion, I would love to talk to her as well. Oh my gosh. We should do one, all three of us. It's, we'll, we can have the podcast with her first, but then it's we have a very funny dynamic, you know? <laughs> yeah, that would be really fun. Yeah, that would be fun, though, to 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 do something. Maybe maybe what I do is, is talk to her for, to start with, and then you join us, and then I'll just let you two go. <laughs> yeah. oh, that would be, well, we keep saying that we want to have our own podcast, London, New York. Oh, so like I love perspective, it. New York perspective in London, and we just can't get it off the ground. I think, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to sit her down and say, we have to have this. Yeah, we have it, to- it takes a lot of energy and organization, and you've got to put the time aside to make it really work. But you've got yeah. the energy and obviously the organization. You've got that part of it, that, and you're so easy to talk with, you know, like you could create so much interest for people. I think it will be a great journey, a great journey. I'm just- we do have so much we have so much like we're very invested in doing research on certain things and certain topics i think it would be funny and it's interesting to see two twins perspectives you know yeah 100 percent. don't always agree yeah i always people say to me you know how did you end up going from sort of fashion to the built structure and i go mm, you live in them people live yeah. in clothes they live in houses 
What's so different? <laughs> yeah. I want to hear more about your career too, just <laughs> how you started and went from something completely different to now. But I always say design creativity, it's just a it's a whole realm. So it, there's not much shift from events, hospitality to yeah. fashion to yeah. interiors. It all kind of runs through the same thread. It it certainly does. And it's a, a a game of creativity and analytics. And if you don't have the analytics and the analytical side of it, you'll struggle. And if you just have the creativity side, then you have trouble getting the execution done. So it's a real game of this. And then human behavior. It's, yeah. you know. And you have I, to bring up people, even with fashion, same oh, thing. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the journey of uh, designing women's swimwear um you know for me it was incredible it was joyful because you know I was working in this amazing part of the fashion industry and understanding a different level about women and where they feel comfortable you know like if if most guys were asked to walk down the beach with as little on as a woman does and guys aren't super self-critical like women are. And I I take my hat off to them. I mean, when they're super young and stuff, they're prancing and they know what they've got and all the rest. But th there's a whole life journey. And I, I take my hat off to women to bear their soul like that, bear their body like that to bear their soul and bounce back. It's like, yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, a level of just, being accepting of self and like oh, my my wife will look at a photo and go oh I don't know about that I'm, but surely my oh, hair right. doesn't look like that I'm like no you're beautiful baby why are you why are you picking on yourself like she's like it's oh so it's funny. easy for you to say you know so critical I was just looking back at the podcast that I did with Eric and I kept saying like oh why am I saying that word over and over again why does my why am I making that face like I I judged every minute of that podcast. And at some, a friend of mine was like, Christina, I'm not seeing any of the things that you're seeing. And I just felt like this is something that I can't post because I'm just, what are people going to think of me? And you know what? At the end of the day, who cares? Exactly. Just be your natural, authentic self and people could love you or hate you. And guess what? That's okay. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. I'm learning that. It's there not there'll easy. Be, no, there'll be plenty who love you, so don't panic. <laughs> Hey, thank you so so much for your time so much fun i am looking forward to vintage shopping with you furniture not clothing yeah. but we might try clothing in london or in new york um i don't know when i'm going to get to either of those places but probably in 2024 and okay. I, I i want a date i want to i want to go like let's we go and do this that. i feel like we're, we're designing a hotel together at some point oh. i'm putting i'm putting that in my manifestation it's in my it's in my manifestation <laughs> mind as well like it's one of those things that i go just boutique i don't need yep. it to be big oh, I just, yeah i want it to be that thing where if you can get in to go there that you just go oh wow Oh yeah. wow! Like, yeah, just just something that takes you somewhere where you never thought you were going to go, and that leaves its hook in you for the rest of your life. I love that. Yep. Just you legacy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> thank, thank you. you so thank much. you. Thank you. This is wonderful. Have a great day. Thanks so thank much. You. Take care. Bye. Bye.
Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, let's say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, well, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.